Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to have you with us again on this Sunday, June the 28th. Is that right? Yes. It's the 28th. <laughs> All right, it's the 28th. We're going to get right into the Word today. I hope you had a good week. As usual, the world's falling apart. There's mayhem, violence in the streets, signs in the heavens, dust clouds covering the United States. Just another typical week. At the end of the world! Okay. <laughs> so anyway, glad to have you here. And uh, it really is an honor to always have you guys tune in. You're the only reason I actually come back and do this thing. Um, we are involved in other uh, media platforms, which we'll be announcing soon, we pray. Within the next six or seven weeks or so, something exciting to announce. And we also are on a podcast. You go to World Harvest Ministries and you'll see uh, the little red thing that uh, that shows our podcast there. Let me see if I can find this. Yeah, let's see. Anyway, it looks like this. Can you see it? Can you see it? No, you can't see it. Okay, wait a minute. Anyway, kind of looks like that. Let me see. Oh, yeah. It looks like this. Can you see it? Yeah. All right, so you go to iTunes, you look for World Harvest Ministries, and you'll find some really, uh, a lot of content there and a lot of deeper things in the Word. We get deeper than we can on these Instagrams. We only have about 20, 30 minutes, um, and so that's what we do. But uh, thank you for, for joining us, and, and uh, we love you. And those of you that will be tuning in later, I hope this is a blessing to you. Uh, we're going to pray first. Father, we thank you for those that are gathered here, those that <coughs> you have taken care of throughout the whole week. We thank you for their families. We thank you for those that are yet to listen. We pray your blessing upon them. In the name of Jesus, amen, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to begin with something, one of the most familiar scriptures uh, there is. And I'm going to read to you out of John's Gospel. John, the disciple and the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, beginning with the third chapter. And we're going to start with... Uh, verse 14, John chapter 3, verse 14. And first, before I do that, I'm going to read the first and second verse to you. John chapter 3, 1 and 2, so we get a little background here. There was a man of the Pharisees whose name was Nicodemus. He was the ruler of the Jews, or a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher that has come from God because... No one can do the miracles that you're doing except God is with him. So this Nicodemus comes to the Lord at night. And they begin to have this discussion. And I'm going to read you this portion of scripture here. Jesus tells him this. He says, as Moses was lifted up and lifted, excuse me, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. That whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believes on him is not condemned. But he that does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. This is the condemnation that light is come into the world but men love darkness 
rather than they loved the light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. For everyone that does evil hates the light. Neither does he come to the light lest his deeds should be reproved or corrected. But he that does truth comes to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they have been wrought in God. Can you say amen? Amen. I just want to discuss a little bit today probably one of the most famous scriptures that most people uh, you know, in the church, out of the church, just in the world have heard which is the 16th verse of the third chapter, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But let's just take a little bit of a background look at this to begin with. Like I started out reading verse 1 and 2. One of the master rulers in Israel when Jesus was first here in his public ministry named Nicodemus, he comes to the Lord at nighttime. You know, Jesus had been in his public ministry now for about a year and a half, two years, maybe longer. Uh, and he, he literally shook Israel um, with the miracles he was doing, with the great deeds, with the great sermons he was preaching. No one had ever seen the likes of it. And there was great debate as to what was, what was this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Uh, is he from God? Is he from the darkness? What is he? And it really shook the religious elite. And, and Nicodemus was part of that. When it says that he was a ruler or a master in Israel, he was part of a, of a council of 70 men. 70 men that represented the 12 tribes of, of Israel. And they were the ruling uh, class, both politically and spiritually, of the day. When the Lord showed up in his first ministry, he became an incredible threat to them. Because they had to decide. There was a great uproar of the people who, who were saying, this is the Messiah, this is the one we've been waiting for. And so they, as the caretakers of the nation, had to decide, is he really who he says he is? And a great division began to take place amongst their ranks, much of like what we see today in our time. You know, Jesus is still that dividing point. He's still that great place and point of contention because the demands that he makes or that which he brought in his message to the earth cannot, it does not leave any room for choice or decision as to receiving his message or rejecting it. And so when Nicodemus came to him, it was with that spirit. Like he said here, like I read to you earlier, he said, well, uh, it says that he came to Jesus by night. He calls him rabbi, teacher. And he says this, this is what their discussion behind the scenes was like, at least his little group. He says, what we know about you is that you're a teacher that has come from God. Because, and how they deduced this was, no man can do these miracles that you were doing, except God is with him. So they had this contention Remember this, that when Jesus showed up on the scene, it had been 400 years, 400 years, four centuries since they had had an open manifestation of a prophet or of any kind of demonstration of, of the miraculous. They had settled into society. The Roman government was ruling. They were allowed to keep their nation, and the temple was the central uh, meeting place and focus of the nation. Jerusalem was the capital. The temple was big. It was kind of like the Vatican. If you go over to Rome and look at the Vatican, 
uh, how big that whole complex is. So was the temple of his day. And, and a well-established, well-entrenched ruling class began to take over the religious aspect of the nation. It settled in. It became religious. But into this climate, precisely at the moment that human history necessitated it, Jesus shows up on the scene and, and, and like, like a piercing cry in the night or a, or a startling backfire on a car, so to speak, he shatters the silence with his very presence. And when they least expect it, this magnificent son of the living God begins to display his power and extend his hand. And that's what Nicodemus comes to tell him. Okay, we've, we've kind of been checking you out, right? We think you're a teacher. We, we believe you're a teacher that comes from God. But Jesus rearranges his thinking. One of the things, first of all, before I talk about that, and we won't be that long this morning, I just want to share some thoughts with you, but, but Nicodemus, <clears throat> he comes to the Lord by night. He comes at night. He didn't come in the daytime. He came at nighttime. Why is that? He came at nighttime because it wasn't really popular among his kind of people at the time to, to openly go, especially a man of his position, right? He couldn't openly just go hang out at one of Jesus' uh, sermons in the synagogue. He couldn't just go and, uh, and have a conversation with him in the daytime. He felt the pressure of his peers. He felt the pressure of his community. He felt so many exterior social pressures, but there was something on the inside of him that was drawing him to this magnificent one they were calling Yeshua, Jesus. And... He comes at night, and, and as I was thinking about that this morning, I mean, it made me think about how most people actually come to the Lord, right? They, they, they come at night at first. It's kind of like the nighttime of our, of our experience as God is drawing us. He came in secret because he didn't want anyone else to know, but he was being drawn by the Spirit. And some of you, uh, in your experience with God, or maybe you just hang out on the Instagram, or maybe you're watching later, uh, you, you're not really sure about this Jesus, but you're still coming and nobody actually knows that you even listen to anything that has to do with the Word of God or the Bible or Jesus or all this stuff. Nicodemus was like that, but there was something at the very depth of his heart that he couldn't put to silence. It was that echo, it was that heavenly draw. He was being drawn to the Lord. And like I said, he came at night and, and he was a master of religious law. And something the Lord begins to reveal to him. Because remember what I said, what we read here, is that he comes and says, okay, we, we think, we know you're a teacher. The miracles you're doing are just, you know, beyond. I mean, no one could do that unless God was with him. So he, he, he's ready to admit now that Jesus is a holy man. And he's a great teacher sent from God. But Jesus rearranges his whole world and begins to startle him. Because what the Lord confronts him with is that his religion, his, his form and ritual that he's been so used to, his spirituality, it is not about his outward performance or what he's doing in the law of Moses. It forces him, Jesus did, to reassess his understanding of what relationship with God is all about. One what he begins to turn his mind to understand is I'm not just a good teacher. I'm not just someone that performs miracles. 
What I'm about to reveal to you, Nicodemus, is something that will totally shift the way that you have understood what serving God is all about. He makes him focus on his whole life. You know, he tells him, you, you need to be born again. You need to, that's what he goes on to tell him. He says, uh, I'll tell you the truth in verse 5. He says, except a man is actually born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because what is born of flesh, he's speaking about religious exercise or good deeds. Because that's where their whole trip was wrapped up in. They viewed God as this all, you know, encompassing, mean old kind of God, right? And, and, and they feared him. Remember, these are the people that, that were at Mount Sinai after they were delivered from, you know, bondage in Egypt. And they come to the mountain. God comes down on fire, according to the book of Exodus, gives them the Ten Commandments. Moses comes down, you know. That's how they saw God. And he has all these laws, all these rules, all these regulations. And, and you know, if I mess up once or I mess this up, man, I mean, he's going to kill us. That's how they saw God. An all-powerful, all-encompassing judge of the universe that's ready to squash them at any moment. But out of his, you know, one of his kind days, he laid out a list of laws, the Ten Commandments, rules, rituals, regulations. And if you keep all this stuff, he, he might go ahead and let you, let you uh, enter into heaven. So that was their mindset. And Jesus says, you know what? The truth is, is that you need to be born again. And this blew his mind. And he goes on to utter that most famous scripture. Again, like I said, he, he's beginning to talk to him about what real relationship was God, with God was all about. That wasn't his understanding. Understand, the fruit of religion is always self-righteousness. And I'm sure all of us have ever met people like that, right? We go to church and you don't, so we're better than you. I mean, that's that self-righteous attitude. And that's the attitude that they carried with them. The performance of the law for reward, yet without certainty. Hoping that what they did in a good deed, on a good day, and stringing together enough of good days in the sight of this God who wants to squash me that hopefully when I get to the end, it would be enough. One could only hope <laughs> that I strung together enough good days to get to heaven. That's kind of how they thought. That's kind of how they felt. And their concept of God was so different than what Jesus was about to reveal. His whole concept of life, of God, of religion, it was about to be turned upside down. Because then Jesus utters this famous scripture, right, that we just read in verse 16. He tells Nicodemus, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So number one, what, what did he tell Nicodemus? He loved and he gave. This was a complete radical reassessment that hit his mind of what God and who God really is. Who the Father really is, who the Creator really is. Because like we were just talking about, it's about what I do. It's about how good I am. It's about how many good consecutive days I string together of where I really didn't mess up. You know, I didn't kick my cat. I didn't, you know, yell at the lady across the street. Whatever it may be, we assess ourselves as being good and bad based on our own understanding of what good and bad really is. But Jesus totally radically shifts his understanding and says, 
First of all, God is not this mean old judge sitting up there, ready to squash you like a gnat or a bug or a little ant on the ground. He says it's quite the opposite. He says God loves. <laughs> that was a radical concept. He loves. And Jesus goes on to say he, he so loved that he gave. And that was another radical concept. You mean my blessing and what it is that I can receive from this God of love you're talking to me about doesn't have to do with anything as far as how I perform my duties? You mean it's a free gift? That's what you're telling me, really? I mean, we've spent 2,000 years here putting together this whole religious expression and now you're telling me that none of it nor my performance within the framework of it is actually going to get me to heaven that what has actually been exhibited in you coming to the earth is that he loves me and he's trying to give me something that was I mean to us who read it all these years later it's like oh well, yeah well that's what it said but to him and maybe to you a, a, a rearranging of what relationship with God is all about is what Jesus was trying to do. Because what he was about to lay forth is that there is nobody who has ever lived that has ever lived a perfect life. Because that's the standard if you choose to approach him that way. Now see, people get nervous when I talk like this sometimes because they, they automatically go to the other extreme and says, so then what you're saying is that there's absolutely no requirements for me to be saved? I can just live any old way? No. That's not what I'm saying. But you just said I can't earn it. No, you can't earn it. Then what is this good, bad, do this, don't do that, got to do with anything then? Everything. How's that? Well, by accepting the free gift of, of what he is offering us, the, the absolute change of heart. Remember what he says, you got to be born again from above, not by the flesh, but by the spirit. It changes who we are. And what we do is, a, is an outflowing as a, a, of, that re, of that reality. He changes me. He comes to live in me, which is what he goes on to say. And, and the very essence of, of his expression through my heart proves that I have accepted what he's done for me. Now listen to what he says here. God so loved. So what he's revealing is this is not earned. You can't you, God owes us nothing. That's what he was trying to say. Because religion will teach us that, okay, I, I did this, I did that, I did this, and so God has to do this for me. Really? He doesn't have to do anything for anybody. He chooses to. And that just blew Nicodemus's mind. He says, you mean it's not an earned thing? Jesus says, no, it's a giving thing. He gave. All you have to do is receive. And another thing he was exposing there is that what religion does is it turns all the attention towards the individual person, toward me. He was kind of revealing to him there. He says, you know what you're concerned about most, Nicodemus, is saving yourself. What God is concerned about is saving the whole creation. See, that's why you have the difference between a religious person and someone who knows that their sins have been forgiven and they're truly born again, the religious person walls himself off from everything. 
The truly saved person goes into all the world because he's compelled by the love that has been deposited in him and the new life that's in him. He's moved forward in a desire to share this rescue plan with other people, this thing called salvation, this thing called the forgiveness of my sins, this born-again experience. He was basically telling Nicodemus, all you're concerned about is your own personal self. He says, but God is concerned with saving the whole world. And only God can do this. And he says, he's doing it through his only son. So that's what he goes on to say, right? He goes on to say, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Those are really powerful words that he was speaking to Nicodemus. Because it separated him. What the word begotten means, literally means to be only one of a kind. There's no one like the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where people today... Uh, have, a, have a real conflict in their own understanding. There are many pretenders to the throne. There's many religions. There's many philosophies. But it's Jesus Christ himself uh, who, who has put himself out there and says, I'm the only begotten one. There is no one like me. I'm the only one of my kind. There'll never be another Jesus. There'll never be another Jesus. He's the only one of his kind. That's what he was revealing. But there is only one true Son of God, and he alone is the King, the Savior of the entire world. God so loved the world. Now, we ain't got time to get into all this, but the world, the name of the word world in the original language, it doesn't just mean the planet. And it doesn't just mean humanity. It means everything. Every dimension, the micro, the macro, the entirety of the universe. What the Lord said his mission was, was I'm coming to save the entire universe and beyond both what is seen and unseen. And in the process, I've come to rescue children, my children, who will believe what it is that my father is about to do and that he gave me for all of it. And this is where the choice is, right? Many stumble right here at this thing, right? I'm the only begotten. That's what Jesus said about himself. Many stumble right here. They struggle with the exclusivity of it all. I mean, the, it means that there's only one way. He said it of himself. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. As good as some philosophy might be, as, as good as some pretender to the throne, as what I like to call him, might be, yet... They never claim to be the exclusive way. That's what separates Christ from everybody else. And that's the choice you and I must make, right? This is where the choice is. Many stumble here. They struggle with the exclusivity of it all, of the one path to everlasting life. Like Nicodemus had to come uh, to understand, or what he came to understand is that it is only by the Lord alone a faith in what he did at Calvary and a belief in his resurrection that seals us and that saves us he goes on to say that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life look what he says about belief because that's what we want to know believe what in him believe what he says in verse 18 he says Let's read that real quick. In verse 18, he says, uh, he says, this is what condemns people. He says, he that believes on him is not condemned, but he that does not believe is condemned already. That's a powerful statement. Because what he's saying is, 
the the lack of belief on our our part or anyone's part in what God is expressing to us through His only Son, it causes something to abide on that person. It causes a judgment to already be resting on you. It's as if you wear a badge that says "condemned" <laughs> as you live your life, or "I live my life." He says, "He that believes is not condemned." A shift has occurred. And, and so he says, what is it that he doesn't believe? Has not believed in the name of the only begotten son. What is he saying? What he's literally saying is, when you reject me, what you're literally saying and what you have failed to believe in is in my authority and my character. That's what the word name means. It's a rejection of his authority over our life. And it's a rejecter of his character. It's as if saying that what Jesus did was cool and all, and maybe he had a few good words to say. I may not understand the whole cross thing and all that, or the resurrection, but, eh, you know, I have a choice here. I can decide what I want to do. And he says, that's the very thing that condemns you. Because not only have you not believed in him or in the plan that's being revealed and, and began to be revealed some 2,000 years ago, he says, you, you have not believed in my name, that is, in my authority, to place these demands on you, and neither have you believed in my character. In other words, my striking life that is so different than any other human being that has ever lived from the beginning up until now. My character, my life, is so extraordinarily different, and my claims and what I spoke are so beyond and transcend any philosophy, any religion, or any claim that any other pseudo-holy man has ever made in the history of the planet. And so by saying you don't believe, or by thinking that you can put it off, he's saying literally what you have done is reject the, the single most beautiful expression of love that has ever been in my person, that is, in the only begotten Son of God. You've rejected my authority, you've rejected my character, you've rejected what he exhibited in his life. His sacrifice, which purchased our salvation. His perfect character. His resurrection, which declares His ultimate authority. And His rulership over everything that is seen and unseen. That's what He says in verse 19. This is the condemnation. This is the ultimate reason. He says that light is come into the cosmos, into the universe, into the planet, and amongst men. Light has come in the form of Jesus Christ. He says that men love darkness more than they love the light. What is he saying? They love the darkness. In other words, they reject the message. They reject the extended hand of our Creator, our Father. They reject the beautiful expression of love and rescue. Understand that history itself is a finite thing. It has a beginning, it has an end. A conclusion to all things will come. And the Bible says that Christ came into the, into the very cross-section or the crossroads of human history. He appeared 2,000 years ago. And He declared a way. He determined an end. He told us an end is coming. And that all along the way, there is only one way to escape that final day, if you will. And that is what God has expressed in His love by showing us Christ. He says, this is the condemnation. This is the ultimate reason that people will lose out. Because light came and they rejected the light. At whatever level, 
whether it's a blatant rejection of the gospel and all them crazy people that talk about this Jesus, or simply a choice not to be concerned with any of it. Like, eh, it doesn't really matter. Either way, those who think that way, he concludes under darkness and rejecting the light. Ultimately, it's a rejection of the light. It's a rejection of the path. It's a rejection of the way of escape from what it is. It's, it, it's an escape of what's coming. Everything will be ended. Understand that a new creative expression, a new heaven and a new earth is at hand. I know that is beyond most <laughs> the kinds of ways we think. Because we've, we've had a beginning, right? We were born, we've grown up, so forth, we're living. But the ultimate, the ultimate thing is, is that one day we're going to breathe our last breath. And so this is the question. If I breathe my last breath and they bury me in the ground, is that it? Is that all there is? Well, first of all, where did I come from? And how is it that I can even think, reason, see, feel? Am I like the Darwinists say, someone who dragged my knuckles on the ground 20 billion years ago and, or climbed up out of some primordial soup and, and suddenly trans, transitioned from a swinging monkey on a tree to this Neanderthal guy to, a, to, a, to, a, to some other kind of you know, expression of... It's insane. Or am I a unique individual expression of God and that he created me special for a purpose and for an ultimate destiny. Because if I'm not unique, and none of us are, if we're not unique, then, then we might as well just go with, with the whole collective, right? We might as well just live our life. We might as well live any way we want to live. Because really, man, we only got this brief moment of history and this brief moment of time. And forget even going deeper in the thoughts of self-reflection and consciousness and what all that means, right? Soul, spirit, forget all that. Might as well just rock and roll, dude. Like they used to say in my time. <laughs> Might as well just party and get high and have all this fun, so so to speak. Because tomorrow I die, man. What does it matter? Got to get what I got to get now. Because once I die, I'll be out of sight, out of mind, and nobody will even know the difference a billion years from now that I ever existed. What a pathetic way to think. That would be one thing. But see, Jesus said, God so loved the world, he, he gave, he sent his only son. And he's trying to declare a message. It's as if a giant megaphone is being shouted down upon the planet. This isn't all there is. And there's a way out. And there's something wonderful and marvelous that's coming. And you have a right to that. And there's nothing you can do to purchase it because it's already been purchased for you. All that is, all that is decaying, all that is falling apart. You're being rescued if you will only receive it. And he says, For everybody that does evil hates the light. Neither do they come to the light, lest their deeds, what that literally means is the way that they live, the way that they walk, the way that they talk, their deeds uh, should be reproved. The reason that they don't want to come to the light, Jesus, is because they don't want to be corrected. They don't want to change the way they think. They don't want to change the way they live. They don't even care or believe in all that. And that's fine because that's their choice. But then what? The Lord said he so loved that he made a way. Now listen, I'm almost done. Some would say, you know, this is really harsh language, right? Saying that my deeds are evil. Well, they are evil. 
My deeds were evil till I accepted Christ. And he's working on me so that I got more good ones than bad ones. But, <laughs> but they're evil. Why? One, because what Jesus said is, is by living that way and not, not responding to the message, so to speak, that we're rejecting the light. They don't believe, but whether they believe or not, it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't negate the truth or what the truth has revealed to us. You see, Christ Jesus stands as a beacon of light to all of humanity. His life, His death, His resurrection, His outstretched arms on His cross, they sought to embrace the whole of humanity in love. It was His, his act of his, his supreme and perfect love for all of us to be indifferent to that to not care about that expression of his love on Calvary is to be evil for it rejects the greatest extended hand of love that has ever been that's what makes it evil it's not what I think about it it's not even the way I act or do or whatever so to speak it's the fact that I choose to reject it and not embrace it and to bring myself to him and to admit to him Man, you know, I've done my best, but it ain't working out. It just ain't working out. And the truth is, I don't want to just breathe my last breath and never exist anymore. Otherwise, what does it matter? This is faith. This is belief. This is what we're being asked. And everyone is going to have to give an account for that. For that one choice, that one decision. That's what he was telling Nicodemus. You care about yourself, Nicodemus. My father cares about everyone and everything and he's revealing it's coming to an end. It's been concluded as being broken and he's going to fix it. And how he's fixed it, he's fixed it through Christ and through his resurrection because that's what he goes on to say. His resurrection is his declaration to anyone who will understand that through him, the price of sin, death, decay, hell, the grave, whatever you want to call it, it's been paid in full for all who will believe, along with the promise which is yet to be. Because you know what the resurrection of Jesus Christ revealed? That it's already started. It's begun. This new and promised destiny, this marvelous expression of the Creator, of an everlasting eternal life, free from anything that has the possibility to plunge any part of creation into death and decay and destruction ever again. It's begun. It began on that third day when the stone was rolled away and they ran to the tomb and found it empty. He's the beginning of a new creation, of a new heaven and of a new earth. His life is the one that lights the way home. If you can see it, if you'll hear it, if you'll believe it, like he said, he that does truth comes to the light. That is his, that, that his deeds may be made manifest or seen, the way he lives, the way he, he acts, the way he now lives and conducts himself, that it's been formed and made by God, that God created something new on the inside of you and me. If you have even a measure of focus in these days, if you've been paying attention at all, then you know 
This world, it's kind of coming apart at the seams, man. We ain't seen nothing yet, trust me. But it is only an evidence that all that is, 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 is moving headlong down the Autobahn of history. It's coming to a conclusion, man. It's moving in a direction. With every morning when the sun rises and pierces the darkness, we're being told there's a better day coming. Just like the sun rises every morning and dispels the darkness, it's God's way of speaking to us that one day that great and glorious King of Kings and Lord of Lords will pierce the darkness of this world and drive it away. And just like every sunset before the encroaching darkness of the night reveals, he doesn't leave himself without witness as he paints a beautiful expression in every sunset that is unique to itself. There's never been another one like it. Every sunset is different. Every sunset is unique. Everyone a work of art. It's his way as the darkness comes of saying, I'll come back. And the next morning the sun comes up again. He speaks to us. And even in the night he didn't leave us without witness in that he set points of light stars in the sky, the moon in its fullness which shines upon the earth and letting us know that even in the darkest night of our souls there's light if we choose to see it, if we choose to receive it. Everything's going to end and even if it's not in our lifetime, which I believe it will be, that's my conviction because of what I see and what I know from the Word of God. But even if it's not, all I have guaranteed is my next breath. So whether I live until the coming of the Lord or I cease with my last breath, are you willing to bank your eternity on that nothing really matters? But what if we're right? What if Jesus was telling the truth and he was, of course? Then we have to answer to that. There's nothing that we can do to earn that. He's earned it for us. We simply receive it. God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but will have everlasting, enduring life forever and ever. Now I know people can't think beyond, you know, very much in the future, but there is a future. It began in that garden tomb at the resurrection of the Lord. And he's been inviting everyone since to come. Are you listening? Are you hearing his voice today? Maybe you're saved, maybe you're not. You can make that absolutely sure today. In the privacy of your own home, maybe it's a neighbor, a loved one, maybe you know him. And you know what we're talking about here. You know that this life, this planet, this earth, this country, the nations of the world, it's shaking. Everything is shaking. Whether you can see it or not is dependent on the quality of spiritual adeptness that has been ministered to your life to this point. But even the most ignorant among us have got to say, man, things are going nuts. Well, he's coming again soon. And while we have a chance, let us make the right choice. Eternity is at stake forever and ever. Many of you have had loved ones that passed away who loved the Lord. We'll see them soon. All that died was this exterior shell. <laughs> the real you is that which is looking out from these eyes. 
your body is like your car, man. It's what you need to, to walk around in this world. <clears throat> but there's coming a day soon when when we're going to a heavenly car lot, so to speak, and we'll have a new car, man. <laughs> and it ain't going to cost you anything. It's freely going to be given to you. It's a marvelous destiny, a great sunset that reminds us that a great, brilliant day is about to dawn. And God is coming. Are you ready? Father, I bless your people. I pray for those who do not know you, that they would know you, that they would ask you to come into their heart, that it would not be a flippant choice or some, you know, mystical words that we speak, but a true conversion of the soul. Reach them and reveal to them that Jesus is Lord. God bless you. See you next week. We love you. Have a great week. Be safe out there and keep looking up. <laughs>